thank you, Greg, and those that serve with Greg to lead us in worship. Thank you all for leading us this morning. Thank you, young men, for taking up the offering. I am so glad that you are with us uh, this morning. As Greg mentioned, I just want to reiterate, we have numerous that are um, either under the weather um, from various different illnesses, um, even the COVID, or even those that are watching us online, and we just are grateful, whether you're listening to us or whether you're watching us virtually, whether you're here this morning, we're just so grateful that you are here today. I hope you have a Bible with you, and I hope that you will take it and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Hopefully you came in, you got a bulletin when you came in on the back of that. There'll be some notes that we will work through during our time together in the Word. But Ephesians chapter 5, we've been walking through this letter of Ephesians. It's Paul's letter to the church there in Ephesus. And he's been writing to the church on how it is that they as an individual, they as a congregation, and they as a church, how that is that they grow Together, So as we are coming together, even as we are entering upon this new year, there's always questions about how it is that we grow in our faith, how it is that we grow together as a church, and especially grow within the community that God has put us. He has given us ample space to grow. So the question is, how is it that we grow? Well, people will come together and they will say, well, we've got this new methodology, or we have this new gimmick, or we have this new idea, this this new church growth strategy. And a lot of times we can come with all kinds of man-made ideas on how it is that we can expand. A lot of times people think about it in the means of bodies or money or buildings. But the question we're asking ourselves as we walk through this letter, it is how is it that we grow spiritually? How is it that we grow in Christ? How is it that we grow together in faith? So we've been walking through this letter um, every week that we've been together. Now, Some of you will probably recognize this. There was once upon a time that every one of us would know what this is. But for those of you um, that may be uh, a little bit fuzzy, this is a jigsaw puzzle. Now this one is a thousand piece. They make them in a lot of different variety jigsaw puzzles. But this is a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. Now some of you may say, well we don't need any explanation. But some of you do. So the way this works is there's a picture on the front. has a title called the Northern Lights. And there's a picture on the front. There's a tent down here. There's a body of water like a lake. There's a, there's a bull moose down here. Well this picture that you see on the front, they printed it out on a piece of cardboard, if you will. And then they cut it. They cut it into a thousand different pieces of all different types of shapes and colors. And you would take this and you take all thousand pieces and you assemble all thousand pieces to get this picture. Some of you that are younger that have never messed with one of these before, used to during the holiday times, you would get the family together and they would set out their card table, they would take this out, they would spread out all the pieces and the family together would put the puzzle together over the weekend, over the holiday or whatever. So you would take the box and normally you would take the box and you would prop it up where this picture would be shown, the pieces would be all over the table and then you would go about your process of putting the picture Together. Now everybody has a different process. I'm sure yours are just fine, but mine's are superior. And so you always got to start out and you got to turn all the pictures where you have the color or the, the pieces where you have the color facing up. And then of course you got to start with the border. You got to get your corners. You got to get your edges. And then you start with the big pieces, uh, whether it's the bull uh, moose or whether it's the tent fire, you're going for the big scenes and then you filter it in with the rest of them. And so you put these pieces together. But the problem is, is that life happens. And the piece gets lost. (laughs) Or somebody comes along and they 
knocks the table and the pieces get scattered. Or somebody gets mad because they can't figure out how to put the puzzle together and they mess up the whole piece, or the whole puzzle as it's started. See, sometimes life can get in the way and the next thing you know, while we are trying to put together the picture that we see on the board, life can get in the way and sometimes we either don't get the picture finally put together or we get it put together as much as possible, but there are pieces are missing. Sometimes you get in a fight with your loved ones. Sometimes it's not as enjoyable as you thought. And sometimes you finally get to the end, you're just finally glad it's over. But life is sometimes like a picture, a jigsaw puzzle that we are putting together. And God has put us in this life. He has put us around other pieces in our life. And God is in some ways putting together a puzzle of your life. And every day is a piece. Every decision is a piece. Every moment is a piece. And sometimes our choices, sometimes life has a way of getting involved, interfering or becoming a hindrance in that picture. But God is still doing something in our lives, putting a picture together. Well, I want you to have that thought in your head as we come here to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 22, Paul turns a corner as he's been writing to this early church. He was talking to them about how they walk individually. That He's talking to them how they walk corporately. He's talking to them how they listen to God, follow God, obey God. But now he's going to turn a corner, if you will, and he's going to turn his attention to the home, primarily to the home. And he's going to talk about husbands and wives. He's going to talk about next week. He's going to talk about children. He's going to talk about our relationship to our employers and our bosses in the workplace. He's going to talk all about these, but he's going to say the way that you grow, you need to understand and that part of this is going to come by having a proper foundation in the way that you order your lives. If you are going to grow spiritually, there's an order that God has put in place. There's a design that God has put in place. And there's, a, there's an example, a picture, if you will, that God says this is the picture that you are to then uh, pursue your life after. So he comes here to this text and he starts to turn his attention to say, this is how these things should look. Now I need to give you two qualifying, two disclaimers here before we jump into the text this morning. The first one is this. I don't have all this figured out. I know that's a big shock to you all. I know that's a big, giant surprise. You're like, really? He doesn't have all this figured out? He's not the perfect husband? Well, Jaylene probably thinks so, but the rest of you, no different. Okay, so I, I, I do not have this all figured out. We've only been married 15 years. Some of you may say, well, that's nothing. I've never been married that long. It's the longest I've ever been married. I think it's a personal best myself. So I'm pretty proud of myself. I'm pretty happy. The fact that she has been willing to stick with me this long and she still smiles and comes to church with me. And so I think it's a great thing. But the reality is, is I don't have it all figured out. So when I'm in here this morning, it's not me saying, you need to be like me. I'm just saying, this is what God's word tells all of us to be like. And the second disclaimer is this. Not all of our pictures are going to look like this. And I don't want you to hear shame. I don't want you to hear guilt. I don't want you to hear condescension. I don't want you to hear judgment. I don't want you to hear anything that comes in my mouth that makes it sound like you are less than if your picture doesn't match this. I want to remind you that there is grace and forgiveness at the cross. And whether this matches your life or it doesn't match your life, there is always opportunity for you and I to come with whatever pieces we have left and bring them to Jesus and say, help. 
And so I don't want any of you this morning to think, well, you know what, uh, I, I've messed this up, or I've already, I've already, uh, I've already uh, ruined that, or I've already uh, foregone that, or I've already forfeited that, so there's no hope for me. I'm going to tell you this morning, no matter what your picture of your life looks like today, there is still hope that you can take what you have left, and you can still pursue the picture that God has for the remainder of your life. And I need, that needs to be at the very forefront. Because I don't want you to hear that the preacher is saying that if you don't look like this, then you're less than. Because by the grace of God, I am not this. And I am still accepted by my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But there is still a picture that Paul gives us. There's still a picture of what God's design for the marriage is to be. So I'm going to read verses 22 down through verse 23. We're going to read it in, in its entirety and then I'm going to back up and we're not going to work verse by verse like I usually try to go to. Rather, I just want to show you four pictures or four parts of the puzzle. So God is bringing this thing called marriage a home together and there's four puzzle pieces, if you will, that God brings together to form the picture of the home. So let's start in verse 22. You read along as I read aloud. And then we're going to back up, and I just want to pull from this passage, from this text, these four parts of the puzzle that Paul gives us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul writes. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her, by, cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands... Should, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However... Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. We come to this text and this text has been often taken out of context. This text has often been come and misused, misapplied, and been abused in the way that it is applied to our hearts in our lives. And it wouldn't take long for you to survey the surrounding world around us and for there to be all kinds of contradictions and all kinds of other opinions out there of what marriage is to be, how marriage is to be engaged upon, and what the picture of marriage should be. So as Paul comes into this text, he just simply says, this is the design that God has for marriage. And he breaks it down into what I'm going to put before you, four different parts. He's first going to talk about a marriage. The first piece to this puzzle, if you will, the first part of this puzzle is that there is a marriage. So when he talks about wives submitting to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and it is himself its savior. As he talks about this relationship or this marriage between a man and a woman, he's talking about a marriage. And I think it's important for us to understand that God created marriage and thus God can define what marriage 
is. So I want you to hold your finger there in Ephesians chapter 5. And I want you to turn all the way back over to Genesis chapter 2. Because some people will say, well, where did marriage come from? How do we get a definition of marriage? Is it based upon what the Supreme Court says? Is it based upon what popular opinion says? Is it based upon what the court clerk says? Is it based upon what uh, this popular author says? Who defines marriage? And what is marriage? Well, you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. I I would submit to you that Genesis 1 through 11 gives you the foundation of everything that we know. You can go back to Genesis 1 and 11 and found the architecture, the foundation, the structure, the design, the blueprint, if you will, for all of our lives today. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So notice the situation that is coming. God had created man. He had created the animals. He had put them there in the garden. The man had dominion over everything in the garden and yet he was still incomplete. He still wasn't what God wanted him to be. So it says, verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he sleep, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman. And notice there in verse 22, notice these next words. And brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is the last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then you see in verse 24, it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. He gives us this explanation right there that who was it that created marriage? God created marriage. Why? Because he knew that it was not good for man to be alone. He knew that man needed a helper fit for him. So therefore God created Eve. He brought them together and just as it says down there in verse 31 back here in Ephesians chapter 5 he said the two became one flesh. Two people became one person. Now you may say well how does that work Spence? How, how does that take place? I don't know. supernatural how God brings it together but we do know that God brings marriage he brings people together he brings a man and a woman together in marriage and when he brings this marriage together God not only created marriage but he then defines marriage so when he says what God has brought together let not man separate we need to understand that this picture that Paul gives us of what marriage is to be it's created by God and it's defined by God so it's not one of those things that I get to determine what marriage is or what isn't and right now we're living in a day and age that this world has a definition for every single, every single thing around us. And then we need to remember that when it comes to God's design, God designed it so he created it so he can there define it however he wants to define it. And it doesn't matter what this world says. It doesn't matter what the voting booth says. It doesn't matter what the politicians say. It doesn't matter what popular opinion says. God says a marriage is still to be between a man and a woman. And church, that's part of the picture that God is putting together. So right here at the very beginning, he reminds us that there is a marriage that is taking place. There is a wife and a husband. But you know very well that when you have a wife and a husband together in a marriage, there's going to be a relationship. (laughs) They're two different things. (laughs) I am married no matter what. That's what this ring is. This is an outward demonstration of an inward commitment. I am married, but my relationship is not not always the same as my commitment. 
Your relationship can go back and forth. And when you bring a man and a woman together in marriage, a relationship has been formed. And so he says there's a second part to this puzzle. You have a marriage and then you have a relationship. And what do you mean by relationship, preacher? I am saying there is a way that that man and that woman work together in that marriage. And this is where it gets sticky. And this is where every single one of you is like, what are you going to say next? Well, there's a relationship. There's a a working dynamic between the two. There's two things I want you, not just two, but there's two primary things that I want you to see from this text. He talks about the relationship between the man and the woman. He says in verse 22, wives submit to your husbands. He says in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. But then if you notice the, uh, the amount of time he spends between the genders, he spends 22 and 23 and 24 talking to the wife about her relationship to her husband. And then he spends 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, and 31, and 32 talking about the husband's relationship to his wife. So many times we come to this passage and men just look at that and say, oh, she's supposed to submit to me. Done. Yeah, Joker, if you'll love her, she will submit to you. And you know, the whole point is not the fact that she has to submit to you regardless of what you do to her. The point is that you're supposed to love her first and then when you get that in order, then you can worry about what she is doing. You know, so many times in your marriage, and your marriages may be completely different. So many times in those early marriages, they're always focused on the other person. Well, that other person needs to do this. That other person needs to get this taken care of. That other person needs to get that taken care of. You know what? I finally got a little bit of advice one time that I listened to. And they said, Spence, if you would just worry about you more than you're worried about her, you'd be amazed how much easier things would get. And yet we come to this text and we start to think, well, this is about what she's supposed to do. And the women come to this text and this is about what he's supposed to do. Maybe we should come to the text and say, God, what do you want us to do? So, so he comes here and he, and he, and he makes, he, he makes a, an acknowledgement that there's two different people in the relationship. And I think it's important for us to understand this morning that two things that are different cannot be the same. See, we're living in a day and age that people try to say there is no differences between the genders. The problem is the Bible doesn't agree. The Bible differentiates between man and a woman. That's why you get in the Garden of Eden and you have God creating man and then all of a sudden he realized that that's not sufficient so did he create Adam... And I, and I hate, I've always just thought about it as Adam and Steve, not Adam and Eve. But it's one, I don't want to pick on Steve. But I mean, it's one of those things that he did not create another guy. He created a woman. And he said that there are two different people. And when we think about what the Bible teaches today, I hold to the, uh, to the confession and to the conviction that when he created us, he created us equal in value, but different in role. Some people would refer to that as a complementarian view. That you're equal in value and different in role. It's not that the man is more valuable uh, than the woman. It's not that the woman is more valuable than the man. It's just that we have different roles. You may say, well, Spence, where do you get that we have different roles? Well, you think about in the garden. They had different roles. Adam was there to be the keeper of the garden, the namer of all the animals. Eve was to be a helper fit for him. You get to Genesis chapter 3 and you have the curse. When they had sinned and they had fallen away and God comes in and says, all right, Adam, this is going to be your consequence for your sin. And Eve, this is going to be your consequence for your sin. And then through the bulk of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, you see that men and women in the kingdom of God had different roles in their service to the kingdom of God. 
And so he talks about this relationship that is there. And he's going to get to why this relationship matters. But Paul wants to make sure and frame it that we understand that God has a picture of marriage in mind. And within that marriage, there's a relationship between the man and the woman. And so when we come to this picture, you and I aren't coming to say we're going to figure it on our own. Remember in the first days, early days of being married, I thought that Jaylene and I were going to be 50-50. It was always going to be 50-50. Who decides the 50? <laughs> if you've been married in time, you know how that works. Who decides the 50? Because what I call 50 is not what she always calls 50. <laughs> And vice versa, it's not always the same. And so it's one of those things that if we start sitting around and worrying about keeping score and worried about trying to make it even Stevens, if you will, then we'll always be worried about trying to keep score. We'll never worry about trying to serve God. And so he wants to remind us this relationship is there. So God has a picture for the relationship. So he says there in verse 23 down through verse 24, he talks about the wives. And he talks about the wives submitting to their husbands. Now let's just talk about this idea of submission. If you go to the original language there in the Greek, you're not going to find a Greek word for submit. So if you go back to the original Greek, it's going to have wives, blank, blank, husbands. And so you say, well, how do the translators get to that? Well, the way that it's written in their original language is the wives. The wives, it says, wives, make sure that you belong to your husband. Now, that language doesn't fit very well in our feminized culture. They don't like the idea of belonging to someone. And so the translator said that it's not a matter of belonging in an indentured servant attitude. It's the idea that you are in a submission. Now, this word submission in our English language, we would use it to define as somebody that yields. Somebody that yields to somebody's authority or somebody that yields to somebody's leadership. It's the idea that God says when it comes to the home, somebody's got to be in charge. And when a decision has to be made, someone has to decide. You get ready to go out to eat with your loved one, and you get ready to go, and you say, where do you want to go? I don't care. That's a lie. (laughs) That's not true. But someone has to make the decision. Amen? Someone's going to have to be, have to make the final decision to say, we're going to go here or we're going to go there. Somebody has to decide. And so God says when it comes to these decisions, when it comes to these matters in the home, there is a hierarchy, if you will. Wives, you are to yield in authority and to deference to your husbands. But then husbands, your responsibility is to love your wives. He says that there in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So it's not a matter of you and I sitting back and saying, well she's supposed to submit to me we need to sit back men and understand that God has called us to love our wives and I'll be honest with you if we loved our wives even half as much as we loved ourselves it would make a huge difference in our marriages we have too many men today too many husbands today that they're going around and they love themselves more than they love their wives and they wonder why their marriage is in trouble because they were too busy worried about loving themselves or loving a neighbor or loving a friend or loving a hobby or loving a recliner or loving a possession or loving an outing or loving a job or loving something else and they weren't loving their wives and they're wondering why things aren't working. The Bible tells us right here the husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So he gives us these pictures, these parts of this puzzle. He talks about the marriage. He talks about the relationship between the husband and the wife. But then he talks about the witness. And this is where, to me, it gets down to the spiritual nitty-gritty of why marriage is in the church to begin with. Because of a witness. So he makes this connection of the husbands and the wives to Christ and the church. So what Paul is saying right here in this passage is is that as you have the relationship, as you have this 
this, this picture of marriage between a man and a woman, you also have this picture of a marriage, a relationship between Christ and the church. And in that kind of analogy, you have Christ being the wife. I mean, the Christ being the man and the church being the wife. So as the church submits to God, Jesus Christ, so do wives submit to their husbands. And as Christ loves the church, gave his life for the church, died for the church, sacrificed himself for the church, bled for the church, paid the penalty of sin for the church, took the place of our penalty for the church, as he gave himself, all of himself for the church, that is how men, we are to submit ourselves to God by loving our wives. So it's not a matter of trying to rig this thing so we have some type of hierarchy between the genders or so that we have some way to have population control. The idea is that when it comes to the marriages and it comes to their home, they're to be a witness of that of Christ and the church or church or the church and Christ. We are a witness to a heavenly principle in a earthly way. Sometimes we fail to make that connection. Sometimes we fail to understand that that is what is at stake. You think about this idea of submission so many times we get hung up saying, well, I don't like the idea of women submitting to men. I don't like this idea of somebody having to submit to someone else. But do you understand that submission came before salvation? When Christ came to this earth, he had to submit himself to take on the human nature. He had to submit himself to the will of God. He had to submit himself to the order of God, the words of God, the commands of God. He had to submit himself to the faithfulness of God. And then he had to go and submit himself to the plan of God by being put on the cross and dying for our sins so that we might be saved. And do you really Realize that when you come, man or woman, to get saved, you are submitting yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, confessing of your sins, repenting of your sins, asking to be forgiven of your sins. You're submitting to God. Every single one of us are therefore required to submit. And yet we're living in a day and age that people say, well, I don't like that idea. Everybody submits. Think about love. It says there in the text that men are to love their wives. Well, love is what led to the submission. When God loved the people, God so loved the world that he sent his son, he understands that by God loving, then then people then could submit to him. This whole idea that we think about the home, we think about marriage, is all to be all to be pointing people to Jesus. It's not a matter of keeping score. It's not a matter of the grudges. It's not a matter of the resentment. It's not a matter of trying to dot the I's and cross the T's. It's not a matter of doing something that's archaic or doing something that's outdated. It's a matter of saying we are going to reflect in the home the church. Or in other words, I put there in your notes, the church reflects the home. We want to make sure that when people come to our home, they see the relationship between the Christ and the church. So how does that work? friend how does that work brothers and sisters when it comes to your relationship it's not about you it's not about him or her it's not about your place in the order the the the, the social standing it's about you understanding when people come do they see do they see Christ in your marriage do they see Christ in your relationship do they see Christ in the way you respond to one another Husband, can somebody look at you and say, you know what, I can see how Christ loves the church because I see how he loves his wife. Can they go to the wife and say, I see how the church should respond to Jesus by the way that you respond to your husband. Do I see the witness 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ evident in your home. So when Paul is talking about this, I don't believe Paul is trying to talk about somebody being elevated and somebody being lowered. I don't think Paul is coming in here trying to say, well, let's just line this thing out and you're in charge and you're, you're under somebody's thumb. It's not that, Jesus, not that Paul is coming in and trying to, uh, trying to put down someone. He's just coming in and saying, God has a picture. God has a plan. God has a way that he has designed and created this to function. So the question is, is what picture will we follow? So he gives us the first part of being marriage, the second part of being relationship, the third part of being a witness. But then this last one, I want you to see with me, is the testimony. The testimony. You may say, well, Spence, what's the difference between a witness and a testimony? Well, here's the way I think about it. A witness is like a snapshot, a still photo, one picture or one capture of time. That would be a witness. A testimony would be a photo album. A yearbook. It'd be something that you would look at that covers an entire period of time. A witness is somebody that someone could snip, step into your life, into your marriages, into your home, wherever, in a moment of your life, and bam, that's your witness. A testimony is the result of a long period of faithfulness. So not only is marriage then to reflect Christ and the church. As a witness, the church will reflect the home. The home should reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. All these things are a witness. But then Paul talks about this testimony, this testimony of the home. That's why he says there in verse 31, he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to the wife, and the two should become one flesh. But then he goes on in verse 32, and he says, This mystery is profound. Paul understands that it's hard to understand how all of this works together. He understands that it can be confusing to say, well, and exactly how does this all take place? I remember some years ago, I was at the Hyatt Hotel in Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia, and I was there on a 4-H trip. And there were all these foreigners that were down there in the lobby mingling around. We got on the elevator with several young men. They were, I was in my teenage years there in their mid-twenties, and so there were several um, uh, foreigner men that were there, and I'm asking, what are y'all doing here? And they said, we're getting married. I said, all y'all are getting married? And they said, yeah. I said, did all of you all plan your weddings at the same time? He said, well, not really. I said, well, then how does this work? He said, well, we come, our parents come, She comes, her parents come, and during this, I guess you would call it a conference, I don't know what you exactly call it, but during this period of time, the parents are in the ballroom hashing out the arrangements of whose son would marry whose daughter, and then the men and the young women and the young men are sitting outside waiting, and then the story comes, hey, John, you're going to marry Susie. They've got, the, they've got whatever their preacher is or however they go about this ceremony. And then all of a sudden, John, hey, go meet Susie. Susie, all right, let's get in here. Let's get you all hitched and let's get you on with life. And I said, really? And they're like, yeah. And I said, that seems so strange. And they said, well, you got a better idea? <laughs> oh, you're going to date and you're going to get to know each other. And you're going to do this and you're going to do that. Because your method is working better than our method. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but you think about this world today, and this world has an idea of what this looks like. This, this thing looks like it's all structured, and it's all planned out, and sometimes you wonder, nobody, whether you're the, or whether you're the foreigners or whether you're the home people, nobody knows when they get married what's going to happen in 20 years, or in 5 years, or in 10 years. People get married thinking it's all about an emotion. It's all about a feeling in your heart and love and you're always going to be in love for the rest of your lives and one day you're going to wake up and realize that love is a choice. Because sometimes those emotions can come and go. And that choice, the decision 
remains. So it's a testimony. A testimony. Paul wants to make sure that he, that he, he, he points it out to us that this mystery is profound. But he says it refers to Christ and the church. He said it's a matter of your marriages. It's a matter about the picture that God is doing in your home. It's a matter of it pointing to the goodness of God. It's a matter of it pointing to the lordship of Christ in our lives. That we are saying that we may not always have it figured out, but we do know that God has it figured out and when Christ calls us to faithfulness and obedience, it doesn't matter whether it makes sense to me. It doesn't matter whether it makes sense to you. It matters that Christ has commanded it, so therefore I'm going to do it. So when he says to love your wife as Christ loves the church, and that means I spend the rest of my time, the rest of my days, the rest of my energy trying to love my wife as Christ loves this church or as much as Christ loves me. I'll tell you what, if you get busy about that, man, you won't be worried about what she's doing because <laughs> you'll have plenty of stuff on your plate to take care of. And the same way when it comes to the wife, that she's not so worried about whether he's loving me the way that I want to be loved. She's just saying, am I going to love? Am I going to respect? Am I going to yield? Am I going to defer to my husband the way that the church defers to Christ? So it's the evidence, the testimony, the lordship of Christ in our lives. The ministry of the church and the community. He's talking about there in verse 33. He says, however, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. He's making this connection that when it comes to the ministry of the home or the ministry of the church we are doing it in a visible community that people are looking at us people are watching us and people will say do they believe what they say or not and it's all for the glory of God all for the glory of God I see some of these marriages that they'll say well, we've been married 50 years <laughs> I can't imagine being married 50 years not in a bad way <laughs> can't imagine that kind of time and it's not because he's so awesome or because she's so awesome it's because they chose to pursue God's picture for their home and it's to the glory of God there's a lot of us admit in this room that it's only by God's grace and by God's glory that we are married today not because of our looks, not because of our merit, not because of our abilities, not because of our worth. It's only because the grace of God, the glory of God shining down upon us and saying, yeah, I'll, I feel sorry for you. Here she is. And it's one of those things that, that some of you women, you need to understand that you are evidence of God's grace in our lives. And we are thankful for you. Because without you, we would have no way to say that God loves me because because you are in my life, I can say, ha, see, God is still at work. That's the Glory of God on display. Paul comes into this text and he wants to make sure and point them to understand that this picture of marriage, this picture of the home, this picture of the man and the woman, it's not just about a marriage, it's about a relationship. It's not just about a relationship, it's about a witness. It's not just about a witness, it's about a testimony. So you bring all of these things and you look at the home and say, who does it point to? Does it point to the world or does it point to Christ? Does my marriage point to Jesus in the church? There's a point to the common decisions out there in the world today. So how do we know if we're growing? How do we know if we're growing as a church? Like I said at the very beginning, I know that not all of our pictures look like this. And I know that all of our pictures are in one stage or another of coming together. I realize that some of our puzzles 
don't seem to be very clear. Some of our puzzles look blurry. Some of our puzzles, we're not sure how these pieces are going to come together. Some of these puzzles, we're not sure how we're going to find the pieces that have been lost. Some of these puzzles, we're not sure what we're going to do. But I want to tell you that wherever you're at in your stage of life right now, God has a plan for your tomorrow. God has a plan for your today. God has a plan for your tomorrow. God has a plan for your next week. And it's not a matter of you understanding how it all works out. It's just a matter of you being willing to say, God, you know, show me how you want me to do it. Show me how you want me to live. So how it is that we can measure if we're growing. Wherever you're at right now, I want you to think about this. God has given us his picture in his word. It's not a matter of you coming up with your own photo. We had two of these at the house. Two of these puzzles. I don't know where they came from. I don't remember buying them. They may have been here for a long time. May have got them at the thrift store. I don't know. We had two of these. This one is the Northern Lights. I already described to you earlier. The, the other one, I think Tucker gave it to us. So it's got three Marines on the front of it. It says Semper Fidelis on it. I, I, can't, I can't bring that up here in front of the church. I don't really subscribe to that picture. That's Tucker's picture. That's not my picture. And in the same way, when it comes to our lives, God has given us a picture. Now, Facebook has a picture. Instagram has a picture. Your girlfriends, your boyfriends at work have a picture. Your co-workers have a picture. TMZ has a picture. People's Weekly has a picture. Entertainment Tonight has a picture. Paparazzi has a picture. Everybody around you has a picture. Just get in a fight with your significant other and just wait and you'll see all the people that show up to tell you what you ought to do. (laughs) But God has a picture as well. And the picture is found in his word. And when we get into his word, we understand that God has a picture for our lives. So we need to understand not only does God have a picture for our lives, but we also need to remind ourselves on a daily basis that we choose the picture that we're modeling our lives after. It would be so nice if God would impose upon us a picture and we wouldn't have a choice. But the reality is that God has given us free will. God has given us choice. So every morning when I wake up, every morning when you wake up, we choose the picture to follow. We choose the picture to pursue. And then this last one. The world is watching our puzzle. The world is watching. And the world is going to see in your life either a witness and a testimony that point people to God or a witness and a testimony that points people to the world. I don't know what the picture that God has for your life. I can tell you general pictures, general things that God has revealed in his word, things that we all are applicable to every single one of us, but I don't know exactly the details of the picture that God has for you, but I will tell you this morning that God has a picture for your life. And I wonder this morning, are you, are you building that picture? My concern is so many times that we wake up and we have a picture of what we want for our lives. We have a picture of what my plans are and my dreams and my goals and my decisions. I have all these things that I want to check off. I have all these things that I want to do with me and God. I'll give you Sundays, but God, I don't want you to be involved in the rest of the time. God, I already have my plan. God, I have my pursuit. God, I have the things that I want to do. God, you get this part. I get the rest of it. And we forget that our picture is our entire life. The puzzle that we are putting together, God has a picture for. And we are just parts of that puzzle. But when it comes to the home, when it comes to the marriages, God has a picture. What picture are you putting together today?
You bow your heads with me.